Welcome to Copper Couriers The Conduit, your connection to what's happening in Arizona. I'm your host Cameron Stevenson, and today we're taking a look at what business looks like for restaurants on the border, where the state is at using eviction prevention funds, and I'll also be talking with two parents who share their concerns about how Arizona's school system is holding up during the coronavirus pandemic. It's been nearly a month since restaurants have been allowed to reopen for dine-in services, and shop owners throughout the state are navigating opening back up while also adhering to reopening social distancing guidelines. In border towns like Nogales, where businesses and residents are split between two countries who are tackling the coronavirus pandemic in very different ways, businesses have been cut off from customers who are no longer able to easily cross the border. Morley Avenue in downtown Nogales is usually packed this time of year. However, it was a different site when Copper Courier contributor Alicia Baron visited last weekend. Some stores were open, but there were few shoppers out and about, and workers at some of the shops said takeout is still their main source of income, as people still aren't quite ready for things to open back up. Many businesses have decided to remain closed, and the ones that have opened are reducing work hours for employees since there's been such a drop in demand. A number of state and federal programs have been enacted to help people financially who can't work during the pandemic, but Arizonans looking for assistance have been having a hard time getting what's been promised. One example is the $5 million that was set aside by Governor Doug Ducey to help renters who are at risk of getting evicted. We're two months and thousands of applications into this program, and the money has mostly been left untouched. Nearly 11,000 renters have applied for eviction prevention assistance, but the Arizona Department of Housing has only approved about 500 applications leaving the remaining 10,000 or so people in a pretty tight spot when the state's eviction moratorium ends in July. And while renters eye July with caution, parents are looking to August with similar unease. Classrooms are expected to open back up, but parents are expressing concern that going back to school could put their kids' health at risk. We wanted to get a first-hand look at how parents feel sending their kids back to the classroom this fall. So I spoke with Redeem Robinson and Leslie Pico, two parents living in Central and South Phoenix, about the school system, what happened when schools closed in March, what that has looked like up until now when schools have closed for the summer, and what we expect to happen when classrooms are planned to open again in the fall. Um, So let's just start back at the beginning. Um, Leslie, for you, what was it like when you saw that schools were going to be shutting down? Um, I had no idea what to expect. Um, I, I mean, I don't blame the teachers. I really wish that there had been a better sort of emergency preparedness plan or anything, but it was basically in the middle of spring break when we found out that they weren't going to be going back to school. And it was just like unsure as to how long that would be. Um, then it took a whole you know, solid almost another month before we received materials and assignments. And then before you know it, the school year was over. <laughs> so it was very hectic, very crazy. Um, we were able to check out, luckily, a device um, for to cover both my kids. But even that was just, you know, schedule management. My youngest needed me to be there with her side by side through every subject and every technology and my eldest could do it on her own, but all, all of a sudden, you know, I'm a school teacher and my husband works and we're all in the same house. <laughs> so it was crazy. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and, and now how, how old are your kids? Can they be fairly independent? Are they young? Do they need assistance? Uh, 
9 and 12, but um, Elisa has um, mild cerebral palsy, so she needs a little more assistance than her older sister. I mean, at any age, it's like, first of all, it's traumatic and confusing. And I know for my kids, when we did the first parade, you know how they they would do those drive-by parades with the parents? They got really sad afterwards because that's the first time they really, that it really hit them that this was it and that the school year ended and they didn't get to do any more field trips or be on the playground or do recess. And uh, it's, I mean, no matter what age it is, I don't think it's been easy for anyone. And right now we... You know, we have our schools, a lot of people are dependent on, you know, school lunches, school meals. Mm-hmm. To get not put all of that burden on the school districts. I mean, we have churches on every corner. Let's utilize those churches and, um, you know, be there for the community. I'll use, for example, um, so where we're at, we're actually, our churches. The church that we use is right next to a school, the Arizona uh, School of the Arts. Uh, we can easily be a place where we are feeding children, where we are, uh, you know, giving out resources. Um, and, you know, we can still do that while social distancing. We can still uh, do that by taking the precautions, you know, wearing our masks, you know, uh, like I said, social distancing. We can still do that. Um, right now, I think this is a critical time for the church to be the church and to stand up and really uh, step its efforts up while uh, the schools are uh, scrambling. Right now, schools are scrambling for resources. They are running out. I've just heard about a school right now that is they're running low on, on food. Now, in addition to, you know, navigating the the family aspect or the at-home aspect, we've also seen a big technological gap across the state. Uh, We were talking with a superintendent down in Cochise County earlier this week, and she was saying that they were able to get grants for computers, uh, but the computers didn't arrive until the weekend that school ended. And then when summer officially starts, all all the students have to return the laptops. So they weren't able to use those. And they also had a large percentage of students who didn't have internet at home. And so they had to rely on businesses who would extend their Wi-Fi signal into their parking lots. Have either of you seen that firsthand? Or um, do you have any experience where, where you could see how this could be an issue if schools have to continue um, online learning? Yeah, I think schools and especially the superintendent's office right now would be wise to start formulating a plan and to go into the school year as though it's going to be remote and online and find ways to get those communities access to the educational materials that they need. Um, There are universities in California that have already stated that there will be no fall semester. Nothing has changed with respect to the pandemic. We are, you know, no closer to finding a vaccine. testing is just now becoming a little more accessible in the state of Arizona. And there's absolutely no reason to be sending our children back at this time. Um, With Arizona specifically in respect to access, this is a huge problem. And I would just even declare this an emergency situation um, because there are parts of Arizona that completely lack the infrastructure. We're talking about the market, innovation, and capitalism coming in to save the day. Well, how is it possible that there are still even schools who lack access, reliable access or access at all to the Internet? You know, it's 2020. (laughs) 
Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, you know, the majority of rural Arizona and even inner city Phoenix, there are major struggles with them having access to internet and access to technology. And we can't either be coming up with these solutions of, I mean, these are makeshift solutions of businesses extending Wi-Fi and then having to be within a certain radius or perimeter to gain access to that Wi-Fi or however it works. I mean, we're talking about education and giving our kids (laughs) a proper education. Um, We need to take this a step further other than establishing, you know, the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I, 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 sorry, go on. You know, everyone should be able to have access to Wi-Fi. Uh, uh, let's just be real. You mm-hmm. know, Wi-Fi. Uh, I'm trying to see how to say this, but you know, it should be just as, as accessible as water. It should be just as accessible as electricity. Everyone should be able to have Wi-Fi, especially especially people with kids. You know, we we want our kids to excel and to go higher. Well, they need access to the Internet. They need access to information, access to websites, access to all kind of information that is out there. Let's give – Wi-Fi should be accessible to everybody, everybody. No matter what your income is, it should just be accessible to everybody. And right now – It should be a right. Internet it should, be a- should be a right. It should. It should be a right. And, um, you, know, you know, while the schools are out, why why are kids being sent home without laptops? I mean, we could be sending kids home uh, with cheap Chromebooks. They don't cost Exactly. Them. <laughs> they don't cost <laughs> Every kid should be able to have some kind of computer and access to Wi-Fi. Exactly. And you're talking about parents who are also having to navigate their jobs, um, especially in, you know, the essential worker um, industry. This is on top of that, having to slow down and also, you know, answer all these technological questions. And it's overwhelming. And, And I actually I wanted to bring up something that you had mentioned earlier, Leslie, about how people are in some areas people are reliant on on businesses and corporations to extend access to wi-fi and that sort of thing so the state legislature they are going to be holding a special session to to pass legislation creating liability protection for businesses so that if they are requiring their employees to work or if they or if someone goes into their establishment and catches the coronavirus that they the or the business will not be held liable for that uh, now, it's unclear whether or not that will extend to schools. I think, let's call it what it is. I mean, at the end of the day, this law is there to protect the interests of capital. Um, and the only way that we can continue running the economy during a pandemic is by reopening. And the only way you can reopen is if you have businesses who are willing to take that risk. And if you can make it any more difficult for workers or people who visit that establishment to sue them, of course, why wouldn't the state want that to happen? It means that they pay less unemployment. They pay, you know, that's, it's not in the interest of the people's welfare. And 
from from your perspective, like you you mentioned that you know, you have a daughter who's who's immune compromised, and you personally don't feel it's safe for kids to go back. Do you talk with other parents? Do you know if this is a a common concern, or are you in the minority? It's a uh, highly common. Con- it is a very common concern. I mean, we're talking about our children, our children's health. Like our children have no choice; they are minors, um, and there are parents who are going to be left without a choice. Like this isn't freedom. Um, and we shouldn't stand for it. And there are alternatives. We are an innovative society. We can come up with solutions that work. They may not be the most profitable. Um, they may not satisfy us right now, but we need to think beyond this because now, I mean, we're talking about our children and parents shouldn't have to be left with no choice because they both have to work. There are bills that have to be paid. We can't just call people heroes and turn a blind eye to this. Mm-hmm. I don't think people are, I don't think um, our system is reacting <clears throat> because at this point it's all we can do is react. Um, I don't think that they're being, um, as, you know, there isn't as much urgency as I would like to see, especially considering these are all very intelligent, highly educated, you know, um, people with experience who can lead. This is why we've elected them. Um, I'd like to see more leadership at this time and more solutions rather than, you know, settling back for let's figure out how to, you know, make business as usual during a global pandemic. You can't have that. We've got to wrap up there, but I'd like to thank Redeem and Leslie for speaking with me today. For The Conduit, I'm Cameron Stevenson.